Hello, everyone. It's really my pleasure to be here today. I'm a holistic dermatologist who got into the topic of topical cannabinoids for skin problems the last few, in the last few years. And I'm here to talk about the science behind hemp, cannabinoids, and THC for beauty and sometimes painful skin disorders such as acne, eczema, psoriasis, itching or pruritus, and wounds. Although you are pain doctors and other caretakers, um, some of the patients you may see have dermatologic or skin problems that are not only itchy, but they're sometimes painful and definitely psychologically painful. Also, many older people, as we know, suffer psychological pain as their body ages and they have more wrinkles and sagging skin, especially women in this country. Now, many patients are already trying topical cannabinoids at home, not only for their pain, but for their skin problems. I do feel it's important to know what double-blind studies have been done to to show um, what science is behind it and thus to counsel our patients. Now, some of you in the audience may already be treating your patients with skin problems with topical cannabinoids and PEA, and I would love to have your input after uh, the end of the formal presentation. Just to let you know, I have no financial disclosures to make at this time. Although I certainly hope to have some in the future. (laughs) I'm working on that. Um, Okay, in this talk, our learning objectives for this hour are understanding what cannabinoids are, and there's a big difference between cannabinoids from hemp and from marijuana, and understanding what that is understanding what the term the endocannabinoid system means and the role of cannabinoid receptors that are actually in the skin, understanding what studies have been done to help support cannabinoids for painful and embarrassing acne lesions, as well as for itchy eczema and uh, psoriatic lesions that can also be painful. I'm also going over which studies have been done to support topical cannabinoids and THC for painful wounds. Now let's first look at just what cannabinoids are and why they are so important. Cannabinoids like CBD or cannabidiol, in addition to THC, have been found to have many medicinal uses, including for seizures, for pain, and for other neurologic diseases, migraines, and glaucoma, as well as for anti-aging and dermatologic problems. Now, cannabinoids are found in both hemp and marijuana. But let's look at the difference between hemp and marijuana, because there's still a lot of confusion about that. Cannabinoids that come from medical marijuana plants or from industrially grown hemp plants Both of the plants are varieties of cannabis sativa, but they are grown for different purposes and have been grown for different purposes for centuries. Each one comes with its very rapidly changing legal status at the federal, state, and local level here in the U.S., and also changing worldwide what the legal status is. Now, hemp was cultivated for centuries for the strength of its fibers, for clothing, for food, for oil, and most recently for biofuels. Marijuana was bred over the centuries for its mystical and its spiritual qualities due to the psychoactive 
properties of its THC. In the U.S., hemp is defined as containing less than 0.3% THC, and marijuana is defined as containing more than 0.3% THC. Now, most marijuana strains today are bred to have a 20 or 35% THC to be a prize blend for its psychoactivity. On, the, on these slides, you can see on the right are the hemp plants, and on the left are the marijuana plants. They are in different stages of growing, but you can see they look very similar. CBD, or cannabidiol extracts, which are produced directly from marijuana flowers, are up to, were up to 15% CBD in the past. Currently, even higher CBD strains are being bred for the medicinal properties. CBD extracts can be produced indirectly from hemp manufacture as a byproduct of the flowers and leaves that are mixed in with the stalks during hemp stalk processing for fiber. In the past, this has been do done mostly in Europe, China, and about 30 other countries because, and imported into the U.S. until recently as it was illegal to cultivate hemp in the U.S. until the 2014 Farm Bill. Now many states have voted uh, statewide to make hemp cultivation legal for research and uh, industrial production. And this is actually a very important month at the federal level. A few days ago, the House and Senate committees were getting together to try to pass and agree on the 2018 Farm Bill. And that would make industrial hemp cultivation legal in all states, federally, um, and uh, otherwise the 2014 Farm Bill is going to expire at the end of this month, the end of September. So they'll probably get it together by the last minute. Um, in the past, um, the hemp plants uh, were only had about 25 parts per million of the CBD. But um, that's changing because the legal status of hemp is now being much more separated from the legal status of marijuana. And people are uh, growing the hemp and cultivating it so that it has high CBD for medicinal properties. In this slide, you can um, see the structure of cannabidiol or CBD. Now, this is only one of many cannabinoids, but a very important one. As you may all know, there's great conflict between federal, state, local, DEA, hemp industries association, and cannabis activists' views of what should be legal. Right now, federal U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions is vehemently against cannabis at a federal level. But 33 states have already okayed hemp cultivation for industrial use. And many states, as you know, are in the process of making marijuana with greater than 0.3% medically legal. 23 states have already made medical marijuana legal, and um, nine states, such as Nevada, where we're at, have made it recreationally legal, with 12 more looking at it this year. As of today, in this very constantly changing battle, if a product contains hemp CBD with less than 0.3% THC, it's currently being sold on the internet, without any federal interference. If it contains more than 0.3% THC, it can be sold in the medical marijuana and recreational marijuana stores only in the states 
and localities where it's legal. So it can be actually legal in a state, but the locality will vote against it. But it cannot be transported across state lines, even from one legal state to another. Let's turn now and look at the history of cannabinoids. First isolated from cannabis sativa in 1940 by Roger Adams, the structure of CBD or cannabidiol was not completely understood until 1963. Early studies resulted in the accepted view that it was the THC that was the active principle of cannabis. And the research thus focused primarily on that to the virtual exclusion of CBD. This was no doubt due to this belief that the activity meant psychoactivity that was shown by THC and not CBD. In retrospect, this was unfortunate since a number of actions of CBD with potential therapeutic benefit have been downplayed for many years. Here we can see the structure of THC on the left and the structure of CBD on the right. As you can see, the main difference is the methyl group on the left bottom side of the THC structure. So very close in chemical structure. Now, what are people referring to when they talk about the endocannabinoid system? It is well documented that the skin, just like the GI tract, is one of the primary physical barriers of the immune system with abundant cannabinoid receptor sites. Research has shown that the skin also has an endocannabinoid system actually of its own, which helps to regulate the production of various hormones and proteins, including cytokines, which are involved in the immune response. Katerina in 2014, working at Johns Hopkins, confirmed that in the skin, cannabinoid lipids, whether of endogenous or exogenous origin, are capable of regulating numerous sensory, homeostatic, and inflammatory events. Therefore, the skin is an ideal setting in which to dissect the general complexities of the endocannabinoid system. Over the past two decades, the endocannabinoid system has been recognized as a key mediator of several aspects of human pathophysiology and has actually emerged to be among the most widespread and versatile signaling molecules ever discovered. So this is really amazing, game-changing, and we're on a new frontier, and this has spawned a whole new industry, not only recreationally, but medically and scientifically. Human tissues have at least two types of cannabinoid receptors, CB1 and CB2, each coupled with a protein called a G protein. CB1 receptors are expressed predominantly at nerve terminals, where they mediate inhibition of neurotransmitter release. CB2 receptors are found mainly on immune cells, one of their roles being to modulate cytokine release. Now, the body actually makes its own molecules, or endogenous cannabinoids, for these endocannabinoid receptors. So examples include the molecule anandamide, which uh, was discovered first in 1992, and 2-arachidonoglycerol, or 2-AG, discovered in 1995. So we actually make our own cannabinoids. We don't need to take them in externally. 
The CB1 receptors are usually involved with the THC euphoria, and the CB2 receptors are usually involved with the medicinal qualities. CB1 receptors are therefore found mainly in the, mainly in the brain, but they've also been found in the skin, where CB2 receptors are found mainly in the skin, the spleen, stomach, liver, bone, and immune cells, and they respond to CBD as well as CBN and many other cannabinoids. These non-psychoactive cannabinoids are where the anti-inflammatory, pain-relieving properties of cannabis reside. Moro Macaroni's 2015 multinational collaborative study proved that human skin cells or keratinocytes are part of the peripheral endocannabinoid system. He showed that there is a unique signaling mechanism of CB1 receptors, which has important implications in the epidermal differentiation and skin development. Thus, imbalance of this system may also be responsible for the occurrence and flares of chronic skin conditions such as aging, dryness of the skin, acne, eczema, and psoriasis. Now, scientists are now working to develop very targeted cannabinoid therapies, which may help to control these inflammatory conditions. In this slide, you can see that CB1 and CB2 receptors are in various parts of the skin and its appendages, all over, really. They're in keratinocytes, melanocytes, Langerhans cells, sebocytes, hair follicles, sensory neurons, dermal immune cells, and immune cells in the bloodstream. And that's what we know as of today. We're going to discover much more, I'm sure. So cannabinoid receptors have been found in even the smallest nerve fibers controlling hair follicles. Keratinocytes have also been shown to bind and metabolize anandamide, the most abundant endocannabinoid in this body. These discoveries have led to the development of CB1 and CB2 selective agonists and antagonists. There are now about 130 cannabinoids which have been discovered. This is truly amazing. CBD is only one of many, but you can see in this pie chart that is the predominant cannabinoid that we've discovered as of today. We are really at the forefront of a whole new science. And pain, ma pain management and dermatology have big parts to play as well. I do want to talk a little bit about hemp oil for beauty. Apparently, those slides were not included. But hemp from cannabis sativa it, um, is used in the beauty industry. And although cannabis beauty may seem like a sudden trend, it's nothing new. With Eastern cultures, including China, using these active ingredients for thousands of years. Now, hemp oil not only contains the cannabinoids, but it contains vitamins A, B, C, and E, which help the skin to be um, more beautiful and uh, youthful looking. 
Hemp seed oil is produced from the seeds of the cannabis sativa plant, and again, it doesn't contain more than 0.3% THC. It is very high in omega fatty acids, which is also good for the skin and for beauty. It penetrates very well, and so it's um, superior to a lot of other beauty oils. And hemp seed is commonly found in shampoos and creams, and they're now beginning to integrate it into um, different products for, for hotels. Hemp oil has also been used for hair over the centuries, and it's great because it has the omega-3 and the omega-6 fatty acids, and it smooths the hair. It's also great for adding different other botanicals, which are excellent, such as yucca, argan oil, jojoba oil, and aloe plants. So Walmart and Ulta both sell full lines of hemp topical creams. Again, these are not labeled as CBD creams, and they don't make big claims about CBD, and they don't have a large amount of CBD. But they do have hemp. Let's look now at the studies that have been done concerning CBD for anti-aging of the skin. Although not physically painful, aging, especially for women, can be very psychologically painful. A 2010 study in the Journal of Investigative Dermatology revealed that the endocannabinoid system is critical to the life cycle of basal cells, which make up around 90% of the cells of the epidermis. As you know, healthy skin relies on the body's ability to grow new cells, discard the old ones. Manipulation of the endocannabinoid system can help regulate the life cycle of basal cells, and this would give more radiant, youthful skin. A 2012 study from the Neurobiology of Aging demonstrated that mice bred without CB1 receptors showed increased skin aging, as seen in the loss of elasticity. So this further hinted at the importance of the endocannabinoids for healthy skin. Unfortunately, right now, we have very few human clinical studies on this, but this is changing rapidly. So cannabis skin care containing significant amount of CBD is thought to aid in the fight against wrinkles, to minimize sun damage and be somewhat of a sunscreen, and give one's skin a healthy, vibrant glow by working on these basal cells. Again, this is different from the hemp oil products, which only contained a little bit of CBD, were not supplemented with extra CBD, and no claims were made. So... Thanks to CBD and other non-psychoactive cannabinoids, cannabis' strong anti-aging and protective capabilities make this herb the next big thing in skincare, providing more than just the moisturative and nutritive properties that hemp alone does. For example, last year I spoke here in Las Vegas at the Marijuana Business Convention, and there were almost 700 exhibitors and 18,000 people came. There were only 400 people who came just six years ago. So this is now a huge industry. There were at least 10 prominent cannabis or CBD skincare lines at the time, and probably will be more this year when they show in a month or two. Now, a New York Times article came out February 1st of this year on just how in CBD skincare is. The New York Post also had a big article about celebrities 
loving these heavily marketed CBD skincare lines. And I was just interviewed by the New York Times Magazine about CBD skincare. Vogue, Glamour, Organic Spa, and many other women's magazines have all written about the new CBD cosmeceuticals that have just come out in the last couple of years. So what we're seeing is in order to sell the product, they're rebranding it and marketing it as a new luxury, luxury trend-setting, celebrity cannabis lifestyle. And this includes not only for beauty, but for pain management, as far as spas and massage and pain relief goes. Now, we have to keep in mind that all these products are unregulated, and many are most about just the packaging and the marketing and the PR and have very little uh, CBD in them. In states where recreational cannabis is legal, such as this one, pro-marijuana day spas are also helping to advance marijuana's PR makeover. For example, the Lodo Massage Studio in Denver incorporates cannabis-spiked creams into their most popular body treatments. They claim they take a basic Swedish rubdown and they use a, a cream laced with THC and CBD. And they do report that it helps to ease the muscle soreness, increase mobility, and lessen the achiness that develops after deep tissue massage. Spa Finder Wellness 365 reports that many marijuana dispensaries have actually been aligning themselves with the spa and pain relief thought of school, school of thought, adopting very similar blissed out offerings like massage, acupuncture, medicinal smoothies, and consults with naturopaths. Now let's turn to cannabinoids in skin disorders which can be painful and are definitely psychologically painful to the patients. Munessa, Siegel, Donick, and Devali did an excellent review article on the role of cannabinoids in dermatology, published in the Journal of American Academy of Dermatology in July of last year. So let's start first with the science behind using cannabinoids in acne. As you know, acne can not only be a nuisance, but it can actually be physically and psychologically painful, especially if you're a teenager. In research published in the Federation of American Societies for Experimental Biology Journal, it was shown that cannabinoids produce lipids that can regulate skin conditions such as acne vulgaris, seborrhea, and dry skin. The researchers suggested further exploration of cannabinoids as novel therapeutic tools to treat acne and dry skin. And Ola out of Hungary is really one of the foremost um, researchers in this area. In 2014, he showed that cannabidiol exerts sebostatic and anti-inflammatory effects on human sebocytes. He determined that CBD behaves as a highly effective sebostatic agent. Administration of CBD to cultured human sebocytes and human skin organ culture actually inhibited the lipogenic actions of various compounds, including arachidonic acid and a combination of linoleic acid and testosterone. By a different mechanism, CBD suppressed uh, sebocyte proliferation, thereby inhibiting sebocyte lipogenesis. 
CBD also exerted complex anti-inflammatory actions. Therefore, Ola also surmised that CBD has a potential as a very promising therapeutic agent for the treatment of acne vulgaris and seborrhea. Now, in 2015, in Pakistan, Ali and Akhtar published a study on the safety and efficacy of a 3% cannabis cream extracted from cannabis seeds for reduction of human cheek sebum and erythema. Males applied the 3% cannabis cream to one side of the face twice daily for 12 weeks, and the skin sebum and erythema content was um, tested on both sides. The 3% treated side showed a significant decrease compared with the base treated side in the skin sebum and the redness. So the cannabis topical was also safe and well tolerated, which is very important as many topicals are not only not safe, but they cause irritation. Obviously, many more detailed studies and databases need to be collected to determine which particular cannabinoids and which terpenes also are the ones that are effective for acne and in different types of patients. This is because cannabinoid therapy can actually vary for different patients and vary from patient to patient. So it's truly a form of personalized medicine, even in the skin. Let's turn now to the topic of itch. Some of your pain patients may also itch. Cannabinoids have been known for centuries to be effective for the treatment of pain, which other speakers um, will talk about one of them uh, right after my talk. As you know, itch and pain share a lot of common pathways. With the proven presence of cannabinoid receptors on cutaneous sensory nerve fibers, cannabinoid agonists seem a rational therapeutic option for the treatment of itch. You can see in this diagram that when TPRV1 receptors on sensory nerve fibers in the skin are activated, itch is felt by the patient. In 2016, through intraperitoneal administration in mice, a cannabinoid agonist, WIN551212, was found to reduce serotonin-inducing itching in a dose-dependent manner. Todurga and the others out of Turkey who did this study surprisingly reported no change in their results when the neurotoxins were depleted in the spinal cord. So he suggested that the cannabinoids may therefore work actually independently of the descending inhibitory pathways from the spinal cord. Again, in this diagram, you can see that cannabinoids inhibit the action of TPRV1 receptors, which then leads to the termination of itch. Now, how is palmitol oil ethanolamide related to cannabis for the treatment of itch? PEA stimulates anandamide the endogenous endocannabinoid we're talking about, which activates the CB1 receptors. Standards and others in Germany in 2006 found that over 70% of patients, or 14 out of 22, with parigo 
lichen simplex and pruritus had a good anti-itch effect with just the topical use of an emollient cream with PEA. On average, there was an 86.4% reduction in itch in these patients. The cream was well tolerated and without burning or contact dermatitis, which sometimes happens with other topicals. As you all know, severe itching can accompany end-stage renal disease. Cispajewski and others in 2005, working in Croatia, studied patients with uremic pruritus on maintenance hemodialysis. Eight of 21 patients, or 38%, who applied a topical cannabinoid cream with structured physiologic lipids twice a day for three weeks completely eliminated their itching. All over pruritus and dryness were examined before the trial, at weekly intervals, and on follow-up two weeks after the study was finished. At the beginning of the trial, there was no significant correlation between the intensity of dry skin and the severity of itching. So the three-week treatment period resulted in complete elimination of dry skin in in 17 patients, or 81%, and more importantly, complete elimination of itching in 38% of the patients, which, as you know, is very significant for end-stage renal disease. Now let's look at topical cannabinoids and wounds. In chronic painful wounds, it's the inflammation that limits the cell proliferation and the tissue regeneration. Styrik Zuska's previous preclinical study on flax fiber suggested the use of flax fiber hydrophobic extract as an anti-inflammatory and wound healing preparation. His extract contained CBD, phytosterols, and unsaturated fatty acids. In in vivo proliferation and wound closure tests, the extract activated cell migration and proliferation. The expression of cytokines was diminished by the extract in a cannabidiol-dependent manner, and beta-cytosterol acted synergistically with the CBD in inflammation inhibition. The extract activated skin cell matrix remodeling, but the changes were only partially cannabidiol and beta-cytosterol dependent. The possible role of fatty acids, also present in the extract, was suggested. So this study then shows that the hydrophobic flax fiber components as wound healing activators with the the anti-inflammatory CBD and the beta-sterols and probably the uh, fatty acids helping and um, increasing the proliferation. There was another study done on wounds, painful wounds, in uh, the Journal of Pain Symptom Management by Drs. Maida and Corbon out of the University of Toronto in 2017. And they described topical medical cannabis as a new treatment for wound pain in three cases of pyodermic gangrenosum. Pyodermic gangrenosum is an uncommon but painful chronic ulceration of the skin of unknown etiology. The ideal methods for pain relief, as you know, for wound patients are modalities that are topical without systemic side effects, 
non-invasive, self-administered and display rapid onset of analgesia. And extracts from the cannabis plant did all of this. They've actually been applied anecdotally to wounds for thousands of years, but this was the, one of the first studies. So they had a case series of three patients with pyoderma gangrenosum that were treated with topical medical comp- uh, cannabis compounded in a non-GMO organic sunflower oil. Clinically significant analgesia that was associated with reduced opioid utilization was noted in all three cases. Therefore, the doctors felt that the topical medical cannabis has the potential to improve pain management and wound healing in patients suffering from wounds of all classes. Of course, many more double-blind clinical studies need to be done. Let's turn now to eczema. This affects a large portion of the population. Hemp seed itself has had some success with the symptoms of eczema. As eczema is characterized by overly dry skin, hemp seed oil can moisturize the skin while avoiding further irritation. In eczema, dry skin occurs due to excessive transepidermal water loss as persistent inflammation compromises the skin's ability to act as a barrier. Hemp seed oil may also provide the key to controlling the imbalance that underlies this condition. Its high concentration of polyunsaturated fatty acids are believed to reduce itching and inflammation better than moisturizers that are low in polyunsaturated fatty acids. It's selenolic acid that's particularly thought to be especially effective. There's also evidence to suggest that dietary hemp seed oil or taking hemp seed oil by mouth can raise the fatty acid levels in the epidermis and actually makes the eczematous dermatitis skin change its fatty acid profile to look more like one found in normal skin cells. In 2005, Dr. Calloway published a study done in Finland in the Journal of Dermatologic Treatment and he documented the treatment of eczema using hemp seed oil. Dr. Calloway found that symptoms of skin dryness and itching improved significantly in eczema patients using the hemp seed oil for 20 weeks. The dietary hemp seed oil increased the endogenous levels of two essential fatty acids, linoleic acid and omega-6, and alpha-linolenic acid and omega-3 as well as boosting levels of another omega-6, linolenic acid. So in addition to this, the transepidermal water loss was decreased and subjective levels of dryness and itchiness improved, and the perceived need for medication among patients was reduced. So we can see that hemp seed oil can be used both topically and orally, internally and externally, to help treat oil. Uh, eczema. Now let's turn to cannabinoids like CBD themselves, not just hemp oil, to help with the signs and symptoms of eczema. Examinous patches can itch, but they can also be painful, and it's definitely psychologically painful if you are covered in these itchy, painful patches. Fortunately for the hemp and marijuana industries, cannabinoids are mainly found in cannabis sativa, although recently they have found them in hops. 
Now, cannabinoids are well known to play a role in regulating inflammation, as I've been talking about this hour, and this may be their key to treating eczema. We'll see that with the next four different studies, there are at least four different mechanisms so far that have been discovered by which anandamide and cannabinoids can work to help in the treatment of itchy, painful, atopic dermatitis, or eczema. In Leonati's 2010 study out of Italy, he isolated falcarinol from their Sardinian plant, Zayat's precox. And he showed that falcarinol selectively alkylates the anandamide binding site in the CB1 receptors. It actually acts as an inverse agonist in these receptors. So in human keratinocytes, it increased the expression of pro-allergic chemokines and inhibited the effects of uh, anandamide in a CB1 receptor-dependent manner. In vivo, it strongly aggravated the histamine-induced edema reactions. Thus, his data demonstrated the inverse anti-allergic effect of anandamide. In 2014, Gaffel out of Germany showed that cannabinoid 1 receptors in mouse keratinocytes actually lessened induced atopic light dermatitis. He used uh, an experimental model a mouse with Th2 type contact hypersensitivity to FITC. Mice lacking the CB1 receptors were sensitized and challenged with this FITC. And then he examined the mouse's ear swelling, transepidermal water loss, Th2 type of skin inflammatory changes, and serum IgE levels. The CB1 receptor deficient keratinocytes actually secreted increased levels of a pro-inflammatory mediator that drive this Th2 type skin inflammation in atopic dermatitis. So here we have another study with that um, results demonstrated that CB1 receptors in keratinocytes help to make a difference and maintain epidermal barrier homeostasis. But this was a different mechanism than what Leonati found previously. Another study took seven phytocannabinoids, representative of major structural types of classic cannabinoids, and investigated them for topical anti-inflammatory activity in a mouse ear dermatitis assay. Results suggested that the involvement not only of cannabinoid receptors, but there was also involvement of inflammatory endpoints targeted by the phytocannabinoids that were not cannabinoid receptors, but were important in the regulation of dermatitis in mice. Kim confirmed Gaffel's findings in 2015, but finally he used humans instead of mice. He found that topical cannabinoid receptor 1 agonist <clears throat> lessened the cutaneous inflammatory responses in an induced atopic dermatitis model. Topical application of the CB1 receptor agonist accelerated the recovery of the epidermal barrier function and showed anti-inflammatory activity in both acute and chronic inflammation models. And the histology also documented this.
Lastly, in 2016, Nam and others out of Korea published their findings in the Annals of Dermatology that cannabinoid 1 receptor agonists also regulate mast cell activation. He did a study um, which concluded that CB1 agonists, such as anandamide, may be used for relieving inflammatory symptoms mediated by mast cell activation in skin challenges such as eczema. So again, this was a different mechanism of action. Now, there are already some creams market online that claim to improve the life-altering symptoms of atopic dermatitis. But currently, there's a CBD-CBG topical application that started to be clinically tested in Europe, in Germany, um, last year, or actually the year before, for the treatment of atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. One biotech company launched human clinical trials in March of last year based on their proprietary topical ointment formulation that includes CBG and other cannabinoids. Their ointment will be tested in different concentrations and will be placebo-controlled. And following the completion of this clinical trial, their products will be registered and patent-protected for various skin disorders. This will actually mark the first human clinical trials although it is commercial, for a product to back up the claims of improvement with topical cannabinoids in eczema and psoriasis. Other studies have been started in other countries, um, such as Israel, um, by their competitors. Lastly, let's uh, take a look at psoriasis and how hemp oil and CBD can help patients suffering from this painful condition. Plenty of anecdotal evidence exists for the use of hemp seed oil and psoriasis. As this condition is characterized by overly dry skin, the hemp seed oil again can moisturize the skin while avoiding further irritation. There's actually a link between low rates of psoriasis and high consumption of polyunsaturated fatty acids from fish oil in certain populations such as the Eskimos. And this has been established for some time. Linoleic acid is thought to be particularly effective. Conversely, non-essential polyunsaturated fatty acid, arachidonic acid, is involved or thought to be involved in the development of psoriasis. In online forums, you'll find about 80% of the people you read about will claim to have been to see an improvement in psoriasis symptoms as a result of experimenting with topical cannabinoids with CBD. And they claim that the flaking, the redness, the itching, and the soreness, as well as the bleeding, is reduced. As was the case with eczema, different mechanisms of action have been discovered for cannabinoids in the treatment of psoriasis and probably more will still be discovered. 13 years ago, the first time uh, anyone studied this, Namazi was searching for safer antipsoriatic agents with fewer harmful side effects, which could be used alone or with other agents. <clears throat> now, he found that um, three novel potential treatments for psoriasis, or they were novel 13 years ago, 
one of which was actually cannabinoids, which he found to exert inhibitory effects on antigen processing and macrophage T-cell interaction, as well as on interleukin-2, TNF-alpha, and nitric oxide from immune cells. And these are all thought to be believed in the pathogen to be involved in the pathogenesis of psoriasis. <clears throat> there are three other recent controlled studies in PubMed documenting the effectiveness of various cannabinoids in helping to control psoriasis. Wilkinson, in 2007, investigated the plant cannabinoids THC, CBD, CBN, and CBG for their ability to inhibit the proliferation of a hyperproliferating human keratinocyte line. He also looked for any involvement of cannabinoid receptors in diseases such as psoriasis. The results confirmed that cannabinoids do have a role in inhibiting keratinocyte proliferation and therefore support a potential role for cannabinoids in the treatment of psoriasis. Psoriasis is also characterized by the upregulation of keratins K6 and K16. In 2013, Rameau and others out of Germany showed that cannabinoid receptor 1-mediated signaling actually downregulates the expressions of keratin K6 and K16 in human keratinocytes in vitro and in situ. His results suggested that cannabinoids and their receptors constitute a novel, clinically relevant control element of human K6 and K16 expression, and thus psoriasis. Although the exact pathophysiology of psoriasis is not entirely understood, the immune system and its interactions with the nervous system have also been investigated as an underlying mechanism of action in psoriasis. Turkestan out of Iran in 2016 did a scientific study, and his, and his results postulated that his, the interaction between the nervous system and the immune system itself was um, regulated in psoriasis not only through an anticholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway, but also the endocannabinoid system plays a role in how the immune system and the neurologic symptom, system interact in psoriasis. New Resnant had, in 2017, postulated that psoriasis also depends on angiogenesis, in addition to the other pathways I just mentioned. So he used a synthetic cannabinoid, um, which had strong anti-angiogenic and anti-inflammatory activities. He found that this cannabinoid was also able to inhibit cytokines and adhesion molecules, vascular adhesion molecules, in both in vitro and in vitro, vivo. Therefore, Maruznet had suggested another mechanism of action for cannabinoids for treatment of psoriasis, and this would be pending positive animal and human trials. So in summary, we have many studies already documenting the, the contributory nature of hemp oil, cannabinoids, their receptors, and the skin's endocannabinoid system in the metabolism and the treatment of physically and psychologically painful aging of the skin, psoriasis, eczema, wounds, and acne. 
in the next few years, we really can expect a lot of scientists to work on these type of projects and come up with therapies that can help our patients with these chronic inflammatory, painful skin conditions. Um, thank you again for your time. I do want to briefly tell you where else you can get reliable sources of education on cannabis. Uh, Greenflower Media, the answer page, the Holistic Cannabis Academy, and the natural, uh, National University of Natural Medicine. Also, I like to buy my products through Natural Partners. They've been in business a long time in Arizona, um, and they give practitioners a uh, discounted wholesale rate. But they also look into the background of all the products and all the scientific information behind the products that they sell. And they do have quite a few CBD cannabis uh, or lines right now, CBD hemp lines. So thank you all for turning out so late on a Saturday evening. I really appreciate it. And hopefully um, there'll be a lot more science to talk about in the future. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Does anybody have any uh, comments or are using any of these topical cannabinoids now for their patients? specific can you share a little more specific protocols for any specific uh, uh, ailments or problems currently right now I'm not practicing so I, I base my talk on the studies and what other people have told me but I know that the, um, the University of Colorado in Denver they use PEA topically quite a lot which is the um, cream that uh, works on anandamide and they've had quite a bit of success with that. A lot of the, we don't know yet, a lot of the exact specific concentrations of CBD, CBG, CBN, or, or THC, or THCA, it's not known yet what's exactly the right combination for each disease and each type of patient. Now there are about three or four practitioners that are way ahead on getting databases on all their patients. Now, I'm going to reach out to them. I don't know how many of them actually have skin concerns because they've been focused mostly on epilepsy. Well, naturally, more, more devastating diseases, epilepsy, multiple sclerosis, pain, and things like that. But they're beginning to get the databases together so that we will get more targeted therapy. So we're just like the first baby step towards this. Hi, I'm covering for practical pain management. I'm over here. <laughs> um, what's one practical tip that our doctor readers could take away from your research and your talk? They're pain doctors. Um, that if your patients are complaining of not all, uh, painful problems, the topical cannabinoids have been, I didn't address this, but there's a lot of literature about them being helpful for pain and also um, for these skin inflammatory diseases I just talked about. So um, I would encourage the patients who have good success to read the label on the product that they're getting and try to find the ones that have a, the word CBD or hemp or cannabidiol is closer to the top of the list of ingredients. It'll have a higher percentage. But what's a tip for a tip would be to go to naturalproducts.com 
and use the products that they've already screened because there are thousands of products and to try to figure out which one is working and which isn't is very difficult. Oh, a more generic tip is to look at the back of the ingredient pack and see where CBD is listed. If it's high on the list, that means it includes a lot of CBD in the topical, and it'll be more effective. I think I'm looking more for, based on your research, what would you tell these most That topical cannabis creams can help with the pain as well as the size of uh, dermatologic lesions or complaints of pain, topical pain. Painful skin conditions and, um, and um, well, another, the next person's going to talk about how it can help in pain. Yes. Is there any understanding regarding negative feedback mechanism in terms if we put too much on and our body will not produce? Oh, that's a really good question, but there hasn't been any evidence of that. There are people that are studying which people and which diseases have a deficiency of endogenous anandamide and endogenous cannabinoids to explain why they uh, have these diseases. And also... Uh, especially in the psych world um, and in different diseases, there's thought that some of the people actually have a deficiency of the, their own endocannabinoids. And that's why um, people are more mentally stable on certain cannabinoids or have less symptoms in various uh, diseases. But I know what you're saying, but there hasn't been anything to show that. Well, they can get, they should have a very low THC. They have to make sure it's from hemp and not marijuana plants because the marijuana plants is going to have a higher THC. So if they got the topical from a marijuana plant, it probably will test positive. But they get it from a hemp plant with less than 0.3% THC, I'm not sure that it really would. I mean, they're being, the hemp plants are being, uh, cultivated so that they're very high in CBD and like no THC. So they have to be sure to get a CBD from hemp. What range are you uh, looking at? So if I get a confirmation that's this whole um, nanogram level, what range do you say, well, most likely from, from the topical uh, CBD with some contamination from the THC versus the people actually I don't know actually when at what it, uh, it's not only going to be the percentage of THC it, it's, but it's not only that it's how much they put all over their body you know they may 
be testing positive because they're taking the tincture or smoking or, you know, it isn't because of the cream. But I don't know, have an exact data that I can point to, especially as it depends how much cream they put all over. Yeah, very good questions, though. Thank you. And cannabis, you mean? Topical cannabinoids? I actually don't have any um, data on that, but I know um, orally they're supposed to help. But I don't actually have any studies on lupus. And I don't have any personal experience with it. You do? Yeah, I mean, they're they're using some topical, you know, CBD stuff. And then they're also using, of course, you know, oral uh, THC. And it seems like it helps helps them with the Well, it's, I mean, it should because it's inflammatory. It's so anti-inflammatory. It only makes sense that it would. But um, I don't have any personal experience with it. But just knowing the uh, pathophysiology, pharmacology. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. You've been helpful for him. Are you based in Scottsdale or San Diego? I'm in San Diego now. 